Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into the latest edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We are recording live on Monday, November 18th. Whether you're watching or listening, live or archived, we're so glad that you could join us today again, recording on Monday, November 18th. We've got a lot to get to today. We're going to be recapping what was a busy weekend in Tech Athletics, uh, highlighted by a 45 nothing win for Virginia Tech football over Georgia Tech. We're going to talk a little wrestling. The Hokies go on the road, knock off number three, Ohio State. Updates on men's basketball, women's basketball, recruiting and football. So much to get to today. And again, we're glad you're with us on the Tech Sideline Podcast. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. I've got Will Stewart to the left of me sitting uh, over there in the uh, in the middle so, chair today so every time I know there's a camera on me I want to go like that <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why <laughs> um, and again we're glad everybody could join us today for those that are watching live on Facebook a reminder start dropping those questions we've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing he'll take your questions we'll get to them towards the end of the podcast a reminder that this week and every week the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic related offenses from their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Again, good morning to everybody. So glad that everybody could be with us. Will Stewart, Evan Hughes. You know, typically, Will, I start this off always asking you how your weekend went, but I have a feeling of, of where you're going. And so I want to start the podcast off with this because Will is a proud father this weekend. Uh, That doesn't mean we just had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I asked Malcolm to pull this picture up, which is currently uh, Will's Twitter background on Twitter, at Will Stewart TSL. A special weekend for the Stewarts, as the Roanoke Times says. And uh, uh, the headline of the article, Radford girls run perfect race to claim state title very um, cool of you to bring that up i wondered if, if maybe we should talk about it first of all congratulations first of all it's it's the, let's back up a little bit further it's a rough day for the tech sideline podcast yep. will cam is out so will tv is out not working today for whatever reason we think we got a cable problem chris coleman is out and i called him we start at 9 30 right i called him at 9 27 he said oh, 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 hello oh, 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 i just woke up <laughs> So please mock him relentlessly when you're in, <laughs> on the message boards or, or dirt in the comments or whatever. So uh, it's a rough day, and uh, there was something else I, I forgot. I don't know. Anyway, let's get to that. Yeah. You are correct. That was uh, – so Hokie fans all had a good uh, weekend. I had a particularly awesome weekend. I got up uh, um, Saturday morning to go to the state cross-country meet. My daughter's a senior, runs for Radford High School, and uh, – and they won a uh, they won a state championship when she was a freshman at the one A level. Very cool. They beat Auburn by one point, just as close as the races get. And uh, then they moved up to Group Two, Two A, and Maggie Walker dominates at Group Two A. Yeah. Private but, school from Richmond. Yeah, uh, Governor School. Governor School. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Actually, like not that. a private school. Um, and so, uh, so there that wasn't happening. Her her sophomore and junior year, and then her uh, senior year, a lot. You know. Last year, Radford finished seventh in the state, and three or four of the teams in front of them moved up to group three. Uh, the team that won the championship, Clark County, got gutted by graduation. They lost all their runners. So it came down to Radford, Glenver, and Floyd, and Radford got a runner back. Uh, Emma Hastings Crummy, who's really good. She was out all last year. They had a good freshman come up. So it was just a thing where it came together. 
and they were favored to win a state championship. And we went and watched them uh, Saturday at Greenhill Park in Salem, and they dominated. It was, you know, as, as a parent, you know, I, I tell my kids there's very little that happens in any given day that really is that big of a deal. You know, just do what you're supposed to do on a daily basis, you know, and just plug and chug and keep going. But sometimes things come along that you only get one shot at it, you know. And so this is her senior year. It's her final race running cross country. And uh, Radford won easily. Uh, they, The Radford girls had 50 points, and Glenver came in second with 87. And uh, Anna Lee is my daughter, ran <laughs> – Ran the best race I've ever seen her run. She she PR'd personal. If you if you don't know your terminology, when somebody PRs, you know that's a that's a personal record. Mm-hmm. She PR'd by over a minute. Wow. She broke twenty minutes for the for the first time ever, and it ran a I think a nineteen forty eight or something like that. And her PR before that was about a I think it was a twenty forty three. So she just what I'm saying is she went out there and just was out of her mind and ran the race of her life and. It was very cool. They got a got a nice article by Robert Anderson in the uh, um, Roanoke Times. Yeah, and our good friend John Fleming, who shoots for uh, shoots for Tech Sideline. Of course, we have Ivan Morozov of Russian Hokey, and John Fleming also uh, does a lot of photography for, photography for us. John has uh, two kids who ran run slash ran at Virginia Tech. So John's been shooting uh, cross country for years and years it's a great picture so that picture right there and and your daughter is in the middle she's the one in the middle yep um she came in eighth the girl to uh her right our left is emma hastings crummy emma came in sixth abby barnes on the right came in seventh and annalise came in eighth so my favorite part of this article and then we uh yeah yeah, so here's the the article from the runner so it's uh towards the end it goes quote the radford seniors already had their plans for a celebration mapped out Quote, hopefully going somewhere nice to eat, Graham said. And then, quote, and a team sleepover, Stewart's Stewart's added. So, uh, again, congratulations. I'm sure that was really special for you guys. It it was funny because Robert Anderson asked him, you know, what's next. And whenever a reporter asks that, he means in the larger sense. And kids, all they're thinking about is what's happening, you know, in the next hour or two. <laughs> well, I hope we could go on some good dinner and have a team sleepover. Robert's like, yeah, I kind of meant, you know, like down the you, road. You know, you're going to run indoor track and outdoor track and run in college. That's kind of what I meant. But if you want to talk about dinner and a sleepover, that's great. So anyway, yeah. Uh, in addition to all the good stuff that happened with Hokie Sports, very nice segue back into tech sports. Yeah. There you go. There we go. And Malcolm changes the picture yep. right, right well on Well done, cue. Malcolm. Appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, well, congratulations. Radford State Champions. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. very cool. And, so, and uh, at least two and two in four years. Not many get to win one. So that's, yeah, and that's, uh, that's actually exciting. Radford's fifth championship in seven years. Because they, wow. they, when she was a freshman, that was their fourth in a row. And then they skipped two years okay. and, then, and then won this year. She so. brought them back to glory before she graduated. Oh, yeah. It's all on her. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Uh, without further ado, let's dive right into Will said uh, what was a great weekend for Tech Athletics. I, I walked into the office today, I looked at Will and said, it was a really good weekend for Virginia yeah. Tech Athletics. Like yeah. A week ago, it was great, right? Mike Young gets his uh, first home right. win as a Hokie. Right. Bud gets the win over Wake Forest. Um, and then wrestling knocked off Northwestern, the mat on the mound. This weekend... I mean, I don't know if you could have asked for much better. That's uh, two really good weekends in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really. So let me, let me kind of recap it. So Friday, um, uh, Friday, the uh, women's basketball picks up a win over a really good Liberty team that's yep. underrated. Women's basketball, 3-0. Did you call that one? 
I did not call. I was calling the first round of the NCAA tournament women's soccer game. That was the only thing that could have made it a, a perfect weekend. Right. Uh, women's soccer hosted Xavier. Uh, Xavier scored a goal in the first 90 seconds yeah, uh, and eventually nice. held on 1-0. Yeah. Um, but uh, women's basketball picked up a win Saturday. Tech played Lehigh, and Lehigh won 20 games last year. No walk in the park, and they looked good good in men's basketball. Landers yeah. Nolly had another terrific game. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, of course, football, which we'll dive into in just a minute, 45-0 win over Georgia Tech. I know we predicted Virginia Tech wins on the podcast Wednesday. I don't know if any of us thought 45-0 was coming. Um, and then Sunday, maybe one of the underrated moments, and it's really not underrated, but it's the moment that maybe should get a lot of attention. Right. Virginia Tech wrestling going on the road to Columbus. For those that don't know, the Big Ten is such a dominant wrestling conference. Tradition, Iowa, Penn State, uh, Ohio State. And they knock off the Buckeyes 21-15, maybe the biggest win in Virginia Tech history in terms of dual meets. Yeah, so I think we previewed that on the uh, podcast the other day, and I said that WrestleStat was predicting, predicting a 25 to Tell you what, let's save that for later yeah. in the podcast. Let's get that. To, yep, yep. Because <laughs> I do we'll, have some things to say. We'll, about we'll that. get That's to all stuff. of that towards the end. Plus, we, again, Jen, drop your questions on uh, Facebook Live. Malcolm will take them down. We'll get to that. Oh, by the way, that wrestling victory is on the heels of them signing the number two recruiting class in the country. Wow. So we'll talk about that. Oh, we've too. got a lot to get to today. I can't wait. And speaking of recruiting, we'll get to some football recruiting in just a little bit. Uh, Hokies mm-hmm. uh, had a big weekend in terms of uh, recruiting. So without further ado, Hokies go to Atlanta, have not beaten Georgia Tech since 2015, Coach Beamer's final year. Uh, a year removed from Georgia Tech coming into Blacksburg and breaking Lane Stadium rushing records on a Thursday night. Will, everyone's been talking about how the Hokies have been able to handle resilience and bounce back yeah. from that Duke game. Everyone's been wondering, can the Hokies play with success? Can they handle success? And right now, the answer to that question is yes. What, as a as a general question to begin, what do you make of the forty five nothing win? Uh, you know, um, I was actually thinking, what am I going to say? Because I haven't even started writing my column yet for today, and and I was thinking, what am I going to say? What what do you say about such a dominant performance? You know, I I um. We've never been ones editorial or editorially here to to lapse into cheerleading, so it's always a challenge for me. I know this sounds silly, I get it, but it's always a challenge for me to write about such a completely dominant performance without just writing two or three thousand words of cheerleading. What do you make of it? Um, my takeaway from it was, uh, gosh, the 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 offensive play calling um, was was pretty phenomenal uh clearly they'd seen something with the with the tight end you know just let's let's do the do the motion to the left I don't know what football people call it but let's just basically block to the left fake the handoff to the left peel around to the right and you know run with one or two tight ends and that just worked over and over and over so the offensive staff saw saw something on film but it wasn't just that. They, uh, the jet sweeps were working. They even got a play out of the downfield passing game. Uh, I thought as far as the blocking on the line went, I was watching the um, condensed version of the game last night. I didn't get a chance to really watch the, uh, the entire you know, three-hour telecast. So I was watching the condensed version. And, you know, Virginia Tech executed very well in the red zone as far as scoring touchdowns. Several runs right up the middle. And on the runs up the middle, I kept seeing Christian Darasaw just from the five-yard line blocking into the end zone over and over and over. I saw Doug Nestor get some good blocks. 
to be fair, uh, Darisaw had a couple rough moments later in the game. Now, there's a – I do have in my notes – there's a, a play I consider kind of hilarious. I think it was a Trey Turner jet sweep, and uh, the blocking on the perimeter was really good. And I don't know how many yards this was for Trey, 30, 40 yards, something like that. And when they're showing the replay, there's a field-level camera kind of showing it, showing Trey coming at the camera. And in the background, you can see Darisaw running, and he reaches over and he, he, he just pushes a defensive tackle. And that defensive tackle plows on another defensive tackle, and they both go down. And I'm like, so does Darisaw get credit for a double pancake on that on that play? Interesting. I wonder how they would score. Yeah. So just uh, so that's the offensive performance. Just man, you know, I I think they wound up with something like 450 yards. It was weird. Do you have the stats in front of you? I do. I have the box score. How many first downs did Virginia Tech have? Give me one second. Not Uh, a lot. Let me see. I'm looking at the individuals. Yep, so it's That would be on team. Let's see. First downs. Virginia Tech had 18 first downs. Georgia Tech had eight. When you're scoring 45 points and you only have 18, only, quote-unquote, you know, uh, how many how many yards total yards and yards per play? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Virginia Tech rushing at a total of 238, passing a total of 223, which comes out to 461 total yards right. of offense. Georgia Tech, 134 total. Wow. So how many plays did Virginia Tech run? They ran 61 plays for an average of 7.6 yards per play. Yeah, that's that's up there. Um, typically, if you're getting, I, th- I think, five and a half to six yards a play, you're doing really well. So so that that's phenomenal. So over on the defensive side of the ball, I, th- I thought Bud brought pressure from a lot of places. Um, one of the things I worried about going in was Georgia Tech has shown they are, you know, I think, I think James Graham, their quarterback, only had a completion percentage coming in of something, something like 47%. Yep. So what were his stats? Do you have them He completed there? Uh, 50% of his passes for 43 yards, two picks. Wow. So how many attempts, how many completions in attempts? Uh, 7 of 14. 7 of 14. So only about, are you telling me seven yards of reception? So nothing downfield. Right, which and, is what we talked about. The deep ball was going to be important to stop, and they didn't really execute that. Right, and and when they um when when they've done well offensively, they've hit a few deep plays. They got nothing. Uh, James Graham has been a problem scrambling. I think if I remember, he only got like one good scramble off. Um, so it's just just a complete defensive performance, and and there were some interesting things I saw um, from the defense. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut these up with video and highlight them in my article today. Um, I know this sounds random to pick this out of a completely defensive performance, mm-hmm. but late in the game, Tech was playing a lot of backups. Right. I mean, Josh Josh Fuga Fuga Fuga, however he pronounces it. Josh even got in, and um, that's when I learned that our roster is out of date. <laughs> Josh is wearing number fifty eight, and he's listed in our roster as ninety one or something like that. So if you if you want to talk about defense, uh, so, so wait a minute, let me get my thought yep, out. Sorry, late yep. late in the game. Um, uh, now, granted, Virginia Tech was teeing off at this point because Georgia Tech was way behind and they were just trying to pass. But there were some phenomenal plays made by Alan Tisdale and, and Dax Hollyfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while there, I think probably the, the lion's share of the fourth quarter, Dax was at the mic position and Tisdale was at the backer position. And Tisdale showed his strength, which is just pursuit, pursuit and tackling to the perimeter. And even Dax, I think, and again, I'm going to highlight this in my article today, we got a glimpse of what Dax would look like at the Mike position. There was a Georgia Tech ran a sweep or something, and he did the classic middle linebacker Vince Hall 
read the play, find the gap, and just mow the runner right down. I remember looking at that thinking, see, that's what Dax looks like at the mic position. So, Well, so I want to bring up um, a stat I saw on Twitter. This was from uh, Cam Meller, who tweeted out, um, lowest passer rating when targeted amongst FBS cornerbacks, minimum of 25 targets. So right. that's not a lot of targets if you think about it. Um, kind of going back to the thought we were talking about, the deep ball for Georgia Tech, Caleb Farley is third in the country in the country when it comes to lower passer rating when targeted uh 30.9 uh, only al blades jr of miami florida and uh cornerback from ul monroe higher than him wow. so let's do let, let's let's angle this from the 45 nothing well, let's start with the defense because we're talking about a shutout in this day and age of college football with offenses and and trending upwards you know it's impressive to get a shutout regardless of who your opponent is so um, Georgia Tech had scored in 282 straight games. And there's there's a graphic that Ox on uh, uh, Twitter used to keep up on a regular basis. It was it was consecutive scoring streaks. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been a long time since I saw the infographic, but Virginia Tech is is way up there in terms of number of games that they've scored in a row. Uh, I believe Virginia Tech streak goes back to 1995 when when Cincinnati beat them 16 nothing in the second game of the year. And that has included some very dicey games. Mark Leal. Yeah, so we'll get to that. Right off the top of my head, uh, Virginia Tech went up to Pittsburgh in 2001 and got stomped 31-7, to I think. And the seven points came from a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. So they barely scored in that game. Uh, Miami beat them, I think, 30-6 to back in 2014 or yep, something 2014. like that. And, and, and the Tech's lone score came with about a minute left to go. Mark Leal at – backing up at quarterback throws a touchdown pass to Isaiah Ford so there's been it is really difficult to uh to have a scoring streak that long and Georgia Tech this year uh extended that streak with a safety they lost to somebody they only had two Temple Temple was it 28 to 2 correct yeah they lost to Temple 28 to 2 and their only points were a safety so I don't care how bad the team you're playing is in, in this day and age, it's kind of like going, it's easy to go to a bowl game. Teams are going to put points up. So to to end a 282-game scoring streak is pretty phenomenal. Let's, you know, continuing about the defense, think about this for Georgia Tech. We've talked so much about how their rushing attack was really good. Um, and compared to uh, as Chris Coleman enters right, the podcast, <laughs> what's going on, CC? Uh, oh, man, I was tired. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm, now he's well-rested. We're glad you're here. Listen, CC, I'll, I'm going to throw you right in here. Okay. Uh, uh, man, Tech. Your microphone's bad. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> but you, you got to flatten it out. All right, I'll, I'll deal with it. Yeah, just hold on to it. Tech's defense holds Georgia Tech rushing 53 yards on the ground, eight tackles for loss, pick six from Farley. How do you describe the defensive performance? Oh, they were definitely tenacious. They were uh, – they, they're still they're playing like they have something to prove, right? Like what Georgia Tech did to them last year, scoring 49 points and – I bet if we go back and look at the box score, you know, Georgia Tech, they didn't run that many plays under Paul Johnson because it was just a running offense and the clock yeah. was always running. So they probably scored 49 points on like 50 plays or something like that. Something ridiculous and like that. I don't know how many plays they ran. If, if only somebody had a computer in front of him and could look that up. If only, <laughs> yeah. And compare it to how many plays they ran yesterday. They might have run a similar amount of plays <laughs> in Saturday's game. Yeah. Um, but I think I wrote that it was 2.9 yards per Per play, something two point three. It was really. They ran fifty six plays. Virginia Tech ran sixty one. Okay, in last year's game. Well, what? A, um, yeah, let's do last year's. Um, 
I, I bet if you go back and oh man, I don't even want to know what last year's uh, yards per play was. Oh, but not as high as the pit game, and man, we'll get to that Wednesday. We'll, we'll get to that Wednesday, but yeah. it's actually kind of a similar feel. But yeah, the uh, the defense came out with something to prove. Uh, they've been getting better week by week, anyway. I mean, which is what you would expect from such a young defense and a young team in general. But they really look like they had something to prove against Georgia Tech, and, and even more than that, sometimes you go into uh, to a game against a team. You know you're better than them, and that could be a bad thing sometimes. But if you have the right mentality, it can be a good thing because you know you have an opportunity to just absolutely destroy somebody. Georgia Tech ran 79 plays last year against Virginia Tech. Really? That many, huh? Only 47 for the Hokies. Do you have – is it easily accessible how many yards per play they have? 5.9 yards per play. The Hokies actually 6.9 yards per play. Yeah. So so last year it wasn't so much like Pittsburgh was hitting big plays last year. Mm -hmm. They – they averaged something like 13-point-something yards of play, which there's some detail there, Evan, that I'm not sure you're familiar with. We'll get into it Wednesday. It's kind of interesting. But uh, did you say 5.9 yards per play? Correct. I guess it was a bunch of six, seven, eight-yard runs just over and over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tech just couldn't get off the field. I want to say, I remember – Virginia Tech could just – Georgia get Tech get couldn't get off the field either. That's They're very true. Picking up first names. Let but. me ask you guys this. Do, do you think that this game, given that it's been since 2015 that Virginia Tech beat Georgia Tech, was it personal, especially the way that things happened last year? Okay, I'll answer that question. When you run a throwback to the quarterback, what were you up twenty eight nothing at that point in it was time? And you're running gadget plays down near the goal line. Um, it might be personal, but it could also be that Virginia Tech just wanted to put that on film. Yeah, that, and give that, other teams something to think about. I think it's that because you're talking about a different coaching staff against the, the George Tech now. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Um, um, you know, so when uh, so uh, I would I would phrase it this way. I think Fuente gets fired up when he sees UNC on the schedule. He probably used to get fired up when he saw Paul Johnson on the schedule, not necessarily Georgia Tech. That's mm-hmm. kind of the way I'd look yeah, at it. Yep, yeah, that's very valid. Um, let's also uh, keep talking about the defense here. Uh, we talked about Alan Tisdale, two sacks, and how aggressive he was. Yeah. Uh, a couple other names that stood out. First of all, Dax Hollyfield has got three interceptions in the, over the last three games. I'm picking his last three games. Uh, I'll ask you about Dax. Um just you, you talked about him playing that, that the, the middle linebacker spot. He got some time there, but yeah. just I mean, what it what it says about him as a as a player and his willingness to uh, play a different position that we've talked about so many times on the podcast, and and really has found a way to be in the right spot at the right time. I mean, he's been kind of Mister on the spot the last three weeks. Dax is, and I mean this in a good way. Dax is a he's been described to us as a football meathead. He just loves football. He loves to play it. He loves to practice it. He's old school from that standpoint. Um, I worried about him earlier this year because I because I know he'd worked really hard in the offseason and lost a lot of weight and was trying to get better at the backer position, and he was still being exposed in space. Um, and so, so I worried about him from that standpoint. He's still immensely popular with the fans. Um, did Chris? Did I catch? You, you remember he got his face bloodied. Which game was it where he got his you face bloodied? I thought I, re- I thought I read a quote from him somewhere where, where the training staff came over to wipe off the blood and yeah. patch him up. And he's like, no, 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 i got to go make sure I get in some pictures or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was right. That was <laughs> so, right. Yeah. so I think Dax went and found photographers to make sure that the blood running down. The, I mean, he's, he's just so old school football, you know. And, and I'm, I'm not smart enough to know. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I was worried about him at the backer position after about three or four games. His grades were bad. 
uh, just because. You know, we, we've talked many times about how we thought he was playing out of position. I haven't seen that in, in the last four weeks or so. Yeah. You know? I'm not smart enough to know whether Bud has done something to, to cover, cover him up, up right. or if he's just gotten better. But anyway, it's working out. I do think he probably needs to take his defensive ends out for dinner for the interceptions. Yeah. Uh, um, so, <laughs> so Garbett was the one who forced – Last week. And, and, it, was and it was Belmar this week. It was Belmar this week. week. Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, uh, I thought in his best play against the run actually came later later in the game when he was playing Mike. That's the one I was talking about, yeah. We were talking about it earlier before you got well, here. I was talking about that was the Dax moment at Mike where he, right. he found the gap and just slashed in. And that, well, was, that, a, that was a Jack Tyler-type tackle. Well, was, I mean, it was a Rayshard Ashby-type play. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's exactly what that guy does on a day-by-day basis. Uh, so totally different uh, position for him. But, yeah, he's, he's improved for sure. Uh, Tisdale had the Yates kid looking like Reggie Ball versus Xavier DB. It's funny. I think I had that same thought. I think I I meant I meant to put that in my Sunday. I'll steal it for today's uh, because I had that same thought. I'm like, man, he's he's going all Xavier DB on the (laughs) perimeter there, man. Uh, And the other one I want to bring up on defense. We haven't even gotten to the offense yet. I mean, this is how good some people stood out on defense. Chamari Connor was excellent on mm-hmm. Saturday. He was all over the place. Two tackles for loss, led the team in tackles with seven tackles, all of them solo tackles, none mm, assists. Nice. Uh, we, you know, we, and you, you, it's funny, Chris talked about how he wrote an article about how he was playing really well, and then he kind of went down a little bit, and now he's really on the upswing. feels like to me when he's playing well and when he's bringing pressure, the defense is really clicking around him or as when well. When he's healthy. Yeah. Well, I also think Georgia Tech wasn't capable of exposing him in coverage. Well, the, well, the, the thing they do the best offensively, except for giving the ball to Mason, as far as the passing game goes, is throw deep down the middle right. to the slot receiver, which he hadn't necessarily been exposed over the middle. It's been more on corner routes. But still, you would think that would be a spot of the field that they would they would have tried to attack. And But I think it's easier when – your cornerbacks, you can just lock down the other team's outside receivers and, and play Divine Diablo over the middle of the field behind your whip, and you just don't have to worry about that as much. Uh, but Bud has so many different cover, so many more coverage options right now because he's got two lockdown corners on the outside. Plus, the middle of the defense, if you've noticed over the last three weeks, has gotten better in zone, in zone coverage. Yeah. They were really having issues all of last year and the first half of this year with their zone handoffs handing off one receiver to the next guy in coverage as guys are crossing the field and things like that um they've gotten a lot better at that and the you've we've seen the defense improve you know from okay solid above average to really good since since they've made that leap yeah i felt like earlier in the year uh, a lot of guys were playing well and we talked about this but there were there were two or three weak spots you could pick at you know, you could get you could get Dax exposed. You could uh, you could get Reggie Floyd to to make a bad fit every once in a while. And Reggie's a guy who's playing a lot better. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, it's again sure. we're sitting here cheerleading like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. But but what are you going to say? They're playing really well at this point. Well, there's there's not a lot to uh, to to not talk well about the forty five nothing win. Yeah. Uh, let's do this. I think we, we we gave the defense the love that they deserved. Uh, I do want to say we didn't talk a ton about the D line, but they did play really well. They did force that basically lead to that but interception they for did. Dax. And let me, let me point out some numbers. Uh Dax played forty four or forty five snaps. Nobody else on defense played more than thirty four snaps. Twenty five total players took defensive snaps for tech on Saturday. So, so they blew out they shut out Georgia Tech without breaking a sweat. So they should be fresh going into pit 
It's kind of the same thing on offense. I forget. I think Nestor played 51 snaps, which was the most of anybody, but 30 different players took a snap on offense for Virginia Tech. So it should be a pretty healthy football team That is so valuable because, as we've talked about before, there are two ways in which you can can, – two – underappreciated ways to build a program one of them is to go to bowl games every year because that means you get extra practices Mm -hmm. you get uh developmental time with some of your younger guys in that month whereas other teams have to quit practicing and then the other one is blow teams out and and get your backups in there and and you might think to yourself oh the game was out of hand that's not really what it's about it's about getting actual game film on your guys and being able to sit down with some of your backups and say and go through plays, you know, that were done in an actual game, even if the game was a blowout. Right. Uh, and Tech's backups did not treat that game like it was a blowout. They kept no. They really wanted hard. to preserve the yeah, shutout. That absolutely. was the one thing that I observed watching that game yep. was that they they wanted to get yeah, the goose that was out. really important. Um, so let's do this. Let's transition to the offense. We still have a lot to get to today on the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Continue to break down the George Tech game. We'll highlight wrestling, men's basketball, recruiting for football. We'll get to your questions. We've got a lot to get to. Um, let's jump to offense. Uh, you know, everyone wants to talk about the quarterbacks. Let's talk about Hennon Hooker. Um, you know, listen, he was efficient through the air. 9 of 13, 159 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um, under 10 carries, 7 attempts for uh, only 10 yards, but he did have 2 touchdowns on the ground, including that 4th down run up the middle. When, when you evaluate Hooker, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to call him a game manager. I don't think that's right. I mean, he can clearly go out and perform well. But mm-hmm. what I mean by that is he knows how to manage a game. I feel like watching him, he just has control of the offense. He knows his spots, he knows his team's strengths. And I mean, to me, he's the perfect ideal candidate for a quarterback. He just under, he has a grasp of what's going on. Yeah, he's in his third year now. And, you know, that's when the light theoretically should go on uh, particularly for a guy like, like him who did come from a quarterback background in high school should, should be ready by now and he is and it was another impressive performance but ju- you know just the fact that he is physically on the field I wrote this after the Wake Forest game when he actually didn't have a particularly good game against Wake Forest but just his mere presence is, is a major threat I mean Georgia's, Georgia Tech was so befuddled by that screen game uh, I put a screenshot in my article yesterday of James Mitchell with the ball and he's got Brian Hudson and Luke Tenuta in front of him leading him down the sideline and there's no Georgia Tech defender in there's front of him. around like they yeah. were they were just run, they ran sprints down the sideline for 30 yards before there was a Georgia Tech defender and that's that's how much that play fooled Georgia Tech and there was another one to Mitchell earlier in the game where he and Keen were both wide open and you know Mitchell caught it, and then Keane turned up the field to block, and there was nobody there. Yeah. I mean, it was just – they just had, had Georgia Tech so confused from, from start to finish, really, it seemed like. And, like, 461 yards and 45 points. It could have been 600 yards and 60 points. If yeah, you, they took their if, foot off the gas halfway through the third yeah, quarter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. it, it could have been even worse than it was. By the way, how about Quincy Patterson coming in? A couple of moments where they needed him off just, the bench, converting the third down, two of two passing, 64 I, yards. I think when he came in, so a uh, couple things about that that play where that one play where he came in. Um, you know, the word was that uh, back, when, back when Ryan Willis was still starting for Tech and playing for Tech, the word was that uh, Hendon Hooker had a bad shoulder, non-throwing shoulder. And you can see he's got the brace on his high on his left arm. And that has not been an issue until Saturday. Yeah. I think it popped out. And yeah. he goes out. I think out. that's what it was. I think it's exactly what it was. And they went out and they worked on him. But 
If you want a play that encapsulates the entire game, Quincy Patterson comes in, and what do you think he's going to do? You think he's going to run up the middle? It's third and eight, and what does he do? He runs up the middle for a first down. You just kind of shake your head and go, come on, Georgia Tech, well, really? Georgia Tech, look at their formation, how they lined up. They lined up ready to defend the pass. Did they really? Oh, yeah. There Yikes. was a huge gap there. Yikes. And, and, he, and he just ran right through it. He, <laughs> he might have had an option and said, okay, depending on how they line up, you just throw it deep to the outside or you run it up the middle. Those are your two choices. Yeah. And uh, I mean, th- they were able to get one of those linemen, you know, about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, but th- th- they're just, there was a big gap there that he ran right through. And yeah. you could tell that they thought there was going to be a pass for some reason. I don't, I don't know if it didn't, if it, for maybe some they reason, just didn't notice the, pr- I don't know. Maybe it didn't com- get communicated in time that Quincy Patterson was coming into the game. I, I don't know. But I think Hendon actually like sat on the field for a little bit. I he mean, did. It, yeah, it wasn't like he right. trotted he off and, and yeah. he did. Okay. So uh, let's transition from the quarterbacks to the receivers. Someone I've really wanted to actually, I say receivers. I'm going to talk about who caught passes tight because ends, technically yeah. James Mitchell is a tight end. As yeah. you said, they'll line him up in the slot. They'll line him up as a receiver. But I want to ask you guys about him. And I, I remember as I was writing the questions for this week, I remember back to our spring game podcast. I asked you guys who was the MVP of the spring game. One of you guys said it was, it was James Mitchell. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of hype about him. Southwest Virginia guy, what he can do. How does he change an offense? What makes him different from a typical tight end? Uh, well, these days, I think what makes him different from a prototypical tight end uh, in the general sense is, you know, he's not your hand-in-the-ground blocker type. Um, he is a guy that you can line up at multiple positions. But I think the definition of tight end has changed through the day. So I do consider him in the modern era of football to be a typical a tight end. Okay. I think that's what how tight ends are used these days. And, and, you know, we knew this was a strength for Virginia Tech going into the season that they had tight ends of, of all different flavors. You know, they had some receivers. They have uh, they have a couple blockers. You know, they, they have whatever they need, you know, and – when when you can send two guys out in the pattern, Keenan Mitchell, and they're both wide open, you know that's that's a those are good toys to have to play around with. Um, to me, they don't. You know, I always go back to that 2010 uh, Orange Bowl where where uh, Stanford just shredded Virginia Tech. Stanford had all to me all their and and Chris, you can maybe yay or nay on this. To me, Stanford's tight ends all looked the same. They were all big, strong guys who could run and catch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's funny. James Mitchell's listed at something like 250. Yeah. He doesn't look 250 to me. He doesn't really look it. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he he looks to me like a really 225, 230. I'm not saying, you know, I, I, I don't believe the the uh, what's listed, but it's he. I was watching him run on one of those receptions, and I thought, man, that guy looks like a big wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Which is what he is. Yeah. Right. Uh, even Drake Dulius had a monster pancake in yesterday's game on a Caleb Stewart run down the right-hand side. If, if you watch it, I thought it was keen. But when you look at the replay, you can see that it's 89. Yeah. And, I mean, he just flattened the dude, man. Just drove him 10 yards so, downfield so, and flattened That's him. four tight ends right there we've talked about. Now, <laughs> no. Julius, um, Gallo. Or, no, no, yeah. it might have been – maybe it was 86 instead of 89. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to go back and take a closer look. But, uh, at any rate, some tight end that doesn't play very much came in and pancakes. Well, I, I was worried that Julius was seriously hurt when he was down on the field for Absolutely. a little while. But saw him in later, so that's good. And the last thing I want to talk about, if they're – you know, We'll start off the podcast. He's like, you know, we're, we're not trying to cheerlead here. We're trying to find, you know, to, to look at it objectively. I do want to pose this question. This might not be a big deal at all. This this could be something to think about. The last two weeks, a receiver has led the team in rushing. 
Right. Uh, McLeese, 11 carries, 34 yards this week against Georgia Tech. Didn't go you know, above and beyond like he has the last couple weeks, uh, last week against Wake Forest. Is that a cause for concern at all? No. Nah. Or do you think the offense is clicking so well with the jet sweeps? It doesn't really matter who's uh, running the football. I think the more you can put on film to make defensive coordinators have to coach their team during the week, I, I, the better it is, I think. The best offenses are able to stretch a defense vertically and horizontally. And those screens and those end arounds and those reverses are showing that Virginia Tech is big time lethal at stretching defenses horizontally right now. They're not elite at stretching teams vertically at this point, but at the same time, they can still do it. You know, they, they hit the deep ball for a touchdown against UNC. Uh, they hit the deep ball to Trey Turner the other day. They also missed on another deep ball to Turner. If they'd hit yeah. that one, then you're really now you're really talking about oh man, they can beat you vertically and horizontally. Right now, they're really good at beating you side to side. They're maybe slightly above average beating you vertically, but they can do both, and that's what makes them a dangerous offense. That that's that's what makes UNC such a dangerous offense because. They can get you side to side with the running game, and they hit you with verticals down the field in the passing game, and that it, it just gives makes it a lot of space to cover. I, I don't think at this point, you know, and, and we'll see how the next two games play out. It, I don't think at this point you're going to stop Virginia Tech's lateral running game and the inside running game. You're going to have to pick one or the other, you know. And on Saturday, the lateral running game was working, and the up the middle with the tailback wasn't working. I thought it worked fairly well with the quarterbacks, especially in the red zone. Hokies 45 nothing winners over the Yellow Jackets. Virginia Tech is going bowling for a 27th consecutive year. Um, you know, again, we, we everyone wants to bring up this Duke game, and rightfully so, as kind of like a, a marking point at, at, at the season and uh, an opportunity to kind of reflect on where this team is mm-hmm. now from that Duke game. I mean, there was a lot of talk after that 45-10 home loss to the Blue Devils. We weren't surely in that podcast, were we? No, mm. not at all. Um, <laughs> we were picking but when, our words very carefully. When you guys think about um, getting to seven wins right now, I mean, we, we sat there after that Duke game and we analyzed the schedule, what the path to seven wins would be for this team. Now at 7-3 and a chance at the Orange Bowl, can you just put into perspective how impressive a job it has been by this entire team to rally like they've had and gotten to this position. Yeah, every, everything has to happen right. Um, you, you've got you've got to be able to you got to be able to rally the troops in a situation like that, right? If they need rallying, maybe they didn't. It's, without being in there, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, but you got to make all the right decisions uh, as far as what you tell the team, who you put in at quarterback. You have to have you you have to have recruited the right guys to to be able to handle that that loss and be able to respond positively when you start giving them tougher practices the very next day um because not not you don't necessarily players wouldn't necessarily respond well to that it takes the right kind of player go out there and lose by 35 and then the next day you're you're having one of your toughest practices of the season um so i i think it's extremely difficult to get back and you know it's one thing if it was like a two-game mini slump we've seen Virginia Tech start 0-2 and then win 10 games in a row before but you know you look back at those teams like the 2010 team you're like okay they let Boise State beat them twice this is a much better record than this is a much better team than their 0-2 record says this time it lasted four games there was a blowout loss at home involved so and the record was two and two basically the the slump lasted a whole month. You didn't know that they were better 
at that point. There was no evidence that, that they were. So from that standpoint, it makes this turnaround very unique in, in Virginia Tech history, I think. And I said uh, probably two or three weeks ago, I said something like, uh, you know, we thought the, the offseason narrative was malcontent's gone, improved locker room chemistry, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that we all thought that meant they'd be a better football team. And four, four games into the season, they weren't. And perhaps the value in finally having better chemistry is to be able to stay together and deal with adversity um, and rebound. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure if Fuente could do that. We'd seen Frank Beamer do it a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't sure if Fuente could do that. And I was, I was, we were very careful last week, or I was very careful to write last week, um, there's still more games to be played. There's still three more. Well, there's still two more. But the evidence is mounting that I, I, they're not going to, to go out and lay an egg effort-wise, and that's the big thing. Being a young team, I mean, who knows what's going to happen since they're a young team. Uh, I, I always uh, – it, it's, it's such a great time of year because it's, – it's a great and sad time of year because this is my favorite time of year where, when you're in the middle of it in November and you don't know what's going to happen and you got that feeling in the pit of your stomach, but – but they've turned things around, and you're like, are they going to go nine and three, or are they going to go, you know, seven and five? Um, I love this time of year, but it's also sad because two weeks from now we're going to know, and it's going to be over. They might still have an ACC championship game to play, so from that standpoint, it's not over. But the story will be pretty much told just two weeks from now, and then you got nine months of sitting around waiting for the next season, you know. So those those are just kind of my thoughts. Um, Enjoy just, the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Enjoy that feeling and enjoy watching them from week to week. And the fact that Saturday's game is the last home game in Lane and it matters is is good enough for me. You know, um, I know from watching the action on our uh, StubHub account, we're a StubHub affiliate, and it was really busy yesterday. I people, bet it was. People are looking yeah. for tickets. Yeah, uh, and I want to point this out. The, the first half of the Wake Forest game and the first half of the Duke game were fairly identical halves. I thought Virginia Tech outplayed Duke for the most part. Um, that first quarter, especially. Especially the first quarter. They definitely outplayed Wake Forest, but they went into halftime both those games losing. And then what happened in the set, in the second half of both of those games? Yeah. Completely different, right? So how this team responds to adversity right now is just completely different than how it responded to adversity earlier in the season. Great way to take us to break here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Again, recapping Georgia Tech. We've got a lot more to get to here on this Monday morning, as well as getting to your questions on Facebook Live. Let's step aside for a timeout. When we come back, rapid-fire questions for Will and Chris before Facebook Live questions. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing it. on the podcast. <laughs> I pointed at the camera. Oh, there we go. <laughs> We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing the podcast. We've got 
Chris Coleman, managing editor on the set. We've got the founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. I am the podcast host, Evan Hughes. Glad everyone's with us. Recording on Monday morning, November the 18th. All right, I've got lots of topics to get to. I want to spend about 10 minutes combined on this, then we'll get to the Facebook Live questions right. because I know Mondays are very busy days for you guys. Uh, let's start with football recruiting. I want to start with some big news that came out late last week, and that is that four-star quarterback Demetrius Davis commits to Virginia Tech, a five foot eleven, hundred ninety pounder from North Shore High School in Houston, Texas, one of the top dual-threat quarterbacks in the class of 2021. Chris, how big of a verbal is that? Uh, it's a pretty big one, you know. Assuming he goes through with it and signs and everything like that. Yeah, Most he's, guys he's, do. I'm not saying that he's not. Yeah, he, he's a long way away, and there's a lot of time between. He's a high school junior. Yeah. Um, now, I'd like to see him grow an inch or two. Um, he's got some technique worker in the passing game, too. To, I don't think right now he's taking – his technique allows him to take advantage of all of his arm strength and everything like that. Right. But he can run. Man, he can run. And the big thing is he runs a very similar offense to Virginia Tech's. He's already got an understanding of the read option. He's already got uh, an understanding of RPO decision-making. Uh, so from uh, from a scheme fit standpoint, this is an A plus. Yeah, he he takes his snaps from the shotgun. I saw some uh, I saw a lot of read option in in his highlights, and I think I even saw an RPO. I, I saw yeah, a you, run you pass did. Option. We saw the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought I heard something. You know, of course, high school football in Texas is such a big deal. He competes in the highest classification in Texas, six A. And there is some. I don't want to. Not, I don't have the stat in front of me, but they are like ridiculously good. He basically he does not lose at that level. Yeah. Play a very high level of competition. They won the state championship last year on when he threw kind of a hell mary to win the game. Crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. And it, it, we're also Virginia Tech is also bringing in a four star running back from Texas on a visit this weekend who was friends with with yep. Davis. Yeah. Which leads me to my next point. Brandon, uh, Brandon Cam Campbell from. Pearland, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, five foot ten, hundred ninety pounder. He's got uh, offers from a bunch of big time schools. So I don't know. I haven't watched his film, so I don't know anything about him. Other, than, I just know he's a four other, star other, guy. I know there's a four star guy from Texas that has a, a good looking offer list. Yeah. Um, at the very least, this is it's good for perception. Yes. Considering what's going on with the 2020 class, the 2020 class will end up will end up being better than people think right now because they're they're going to go in at the end and. There's a good chance they pick up the number one prep school pro, uh, prospect in the country. Uh, At running back, uh, right? Uh, wide receiver. Wide receiver. Wide receiver yeah. type. Um, they're they're, they're going to they're gonna see which coaches get fired and pick off some commits and things like that. So it'll end up being better than, than it looks right now. So one thing that we, you know, we've talked about, this 2020 recruiting class for Virginia Tech, a little bit down, but as you said, you know, defensively tough to recruit when you know a lot of these guys did not know who their defensive coordinator mm -hmm. was going to be. A new coach coming in, potentially a new scheme, but it does look like things are trending upwards for 2021, yeah. 2022, and beyond. Uh, certainly, early in the very early stages, it looks good for 2021. Um, and I think getting Davis's commitment. If you looked on Twitter and you saw the responses from a lot of other 2021 and 2022 recruits, recruits they were all very impressed. Like recruits notice where other recruits commit and yeah. where highly touted guys commit. So that's good for perception. For and time. it helps. It's, it's, it's very important. You know, Davis has committed. And Virginia Tech next weekend, the, the very next game, blows out Georgia Tech mm -hmm. 45 to nothing. Keep winning. Keep making right. that commitment look like a smart commitment. Uh, right. And it's important to get it in this early because if you think about it, you know, Dax Holyfield was a highly touted kid, but he didn't sign until the very end. Yeah. De Devin Hunter – 
you know, top 75 kid, but didn't commit until the last week of the recruiting process. So Virginia Tech didn't have a chance to to use those guys to influence other recruits in their respective classes. Uh, they can do this with do that with Davis. Rapid fire. We move on to Virginia Tech men's basketball. Hokies, since the last time we've done a podcast, knocked off USC Upstate on Wednesday and an impressive win over Lehigh on Saturday just before the football game. Uh, Lehigh was a team that won over 20 games last year in the Patriot mm-hmm. League. Uh, Landers Nolly continues to score 20-plus uh, in those two games. What are you thinking right now, Chris? There was a point on Saturday where he just ran off those three straight three pointers, and wow, man! I mean, that dude, that dude can fill it up. Um, I think Lehigh represented their biggest challenge in their first five games outside Clemson, a a team that's won twenty and two of their last three years, seventy nine fifty three finals. Yeah, and and that was and it's a little bit deceiving. That was a five point game at halftime, and it was even close into the early stage of the second half before Tech ran away with it. But once. They ran away with it. There was no stop. Started, yeah. Nolly with 27 against Lehigh. P.J. Horn had 14. Uh, and the Hokies uh, from deep uh, were 9 of 18 from three in the second, second half. half yeah. Second half, yeah. yeah. It wasn't great for them in the first half. but they 14 of 37 for the game, I think. That's yeah. a lot of three-pointers. That's a, that's a lot of three-pointers. And then against USC Upstate, Will, they started a little bit slow on Wednesday, but then the second half they really started to cruise. I, I thought USC Upstate uh, played a good game. I, I thought they were they shot poorly, but I thought they, they got a lot of good coaches down there. Well, yeah, that's right. They got uh, let's they got Stacy Palmore, St- who's a for, he's a former assistant at Virginia Tech, who right. recruited some good players under Seth Greenberg. He was actually Michael Vick's high school basketball coach. Wow. That's your trivia. Wow. And, they, and they got uh, Ron uh, Ron Bradley, who used to be the head coach at Radford. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for a small school, they've got a pretty accomplished. They've got another staff. assistant in there. I forget who it was that I had heard of. But but I thought I, I thought it reflected on their play on the court. I yeah. thought they moved, I thought they they put some pressure on Tech. They just didn't shoot well, and I thought Virginia Tech responded with just tremendous effort. And so far, that's what we're seeing out of them under under Mike Young. Just effort, game in, game out. Yeah. I did not get to watch the Lehigh game, so I can't speak to that one. There's a gonna there's gonna be one more tune up. Wednesday, Delaware State, they are struggling this year, to put it yes, up lightly. Yes, they're, yeah. they're struggling team. So, Virginia Tech is going to be 5-0 and going into Maui. Um, really, their only chances to lose basketball games were Clemson and Lehigh. Yep. And they won those. The, they'll beat Delaware State, be 5-0 and headed into Maui and play in Michigan State, a team that was preseason number one. Um, and I think he's currently number three. Yeah. Last I checked. Yeah, that, that'll be that'll be a different kind of challenge. And then the next day, either Georgia or Dayton. You know, you got you got you got three games against tough teams three straight days. I think the only thing that would disappoint me is zero and three. Um, um, I think I'd be satisfied with winning a game out there. I, I the, the only, I know Michigan State is awesome. I don't know as much about those other teams. Yeah. Um, Georgia's got one of the top players in the country, top freshman. It was a big signing for Tom yeah. Crean. I want to say the number one player, names for but like big time recruit, hmm. uh, five star. Dayton's always uh, Dayton's got yeah, they're the always a solid VCU program. coach uh, whose name uh, Tech, Green. Yeah, like if Tech, assuming Tech loses to Michigan State, I, I don't think they'll be favored against either opponent they would face in day two either and. I'm not as familiar with the other side of the bracket to have a good idea of who they could face on day three, but it's going to be a tough field. And you get back from Maui and you immediate play, immediately play Duke. Duke, yeah. Okay, um, let's transition to this uh, quickly. Do want to again hit on women's basketball. Off to a good start for uh, Kenny Brooks and company this year. Three and zero. Liberty, an underrated team. Hokies uh, pulling out seventy three sixty nine on Friday. Uh, this center, Elizabeth Kitley, someone to keep an eye on. A big time recruit. They got Kenny Brooks you know, said that. 
he has a post presence inside for the first time since he's been there. They still uh, make a lot of three-pointers. It's a fun team to watch over there with women's hoops. Yeah. Uh, what she score, 27? Uh, against Liberty, give me two seconds. I think it was like in the upper twenties. It was Landers Nolly line. <laughs> it was Landers Nolly line. Uh, Kitley ended up scoring against the Flames. Let's see, she had no only ten. It was Asia Shepard who had twenty. Oh, she had twenty-seven in some game. Uh, it was against uh, St. Francis to open up so the season. Open up right. the season. Uh, it was right. thirteen of fifteen from the field. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Woo. So yeah. uh, off to a good start there. Just wanted to update. And then finally, I wanted to save this part for last. We can spend about three minutes on this. Virginia Tech Wrestling, ranked 11th in the country, on the road, going to number three Ohio State. Again, one of this, the, the blue bloods of wrestling, if you will. And a 21-15 decision over the Buckeyes. Will, one of the best wins in, in Tech history. Just another uh, check off the box for Coach Roby and his staff. Yeah, WrestleStat, uh, you can do dual matchups and see how they're projected. It's, it's really cool. Uh, you go to WrestleStat and you pick, uh, I think it's called the dual meet function. And, and so in matching up Ohio State against Virginia Tech going in, uh, they were predicting a 25-10 to 10 Ohio State win. But as we talked about on the podcast, three of those uh, matches were, were close. They were one-point decisions projected for Ohio State. So, uh, you know, I, I – put it out on tech sidelines twitter i said you know this this is not uh this this could go virginia tech's way what's most interesting about that is virginia tech wound up winning 21 to 15 correct that was with david mcfadden their best wrestler losing correct and roby said after the after the the meet he said if you had told me that david mcfadden was going to lose and we were still going to win i he said i just i can't believe we did that um so they they just it went about as well as it could go for him. Outside of McFadden, it went as well as it could think, go. Think about this. Brent Moore at 149 really struggled against Northwestern yeah. with a pin over the eighth-ranked wrestler Sammy Sasso in a minute 16. That was absolutely vital for them. i got to go back and watch that, man. Yeah, I, gotta, I mean, I Brent Moore. I mean, you know, Coach Roby said we need – we need Brent to, to basically yeah, he wrestle pressured better. Him. He, he pressured did. him after Northwestern. Yeah. Uh, Cody Hughes at uh, 174, 6'3 decision. Um, and then uh, – and I think that was a big upset for Hughes. And, and, and Joey Prada with a 5-2 decision over the 20th-ranked wrestler at 125. Colin Girardi, I mean, the young freshman at 133, 7-1 decision over 14th-ranked Quinn Kinner. He was 13th, so that was a toss-up. I mean, that is a big win for the Hokies to go into Big Ten country. And then one thing I didn't realize that you brought up earlier about the recruiting class. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. So, first of all, one more comment on Ohio State. Um, if you want to know a little bit about Big Ten wrestling, Google uh, Ohio State Wrestling Facility. And they, first of all, they have their own practice facility. Uh, and secondly, they compete in a, in a really neat arena that is, uh, that is uh, purpose-built for four sports, wrestling, women's volleyball. I don't remember the other two, but it's a really neat venue. It's brand new, you know, so if you want to see Big Ten money at work, you know, just, just Google Ohio State Wrestling Facilities and take a look. So it's great to go into that setting. I, I I read Eleven Warriors is an Ohio State site. I read their preview of the match, and they were just like, "Hey, Virginia Tech's got." They gave, they gave Virginia Tech respect, but they basically said this shouldn't be a problem. 
and um, I'm pretty sure that place was full for that uh, for that meet. So I, I saw I, some I, pictures. It looked packed. I really want to go back and watch that. Hokies um, have Navy coming up in the Navy Classic, uh, Classic in Annapolis, and uh, yeah, no, I want to go back and watch that uh, Brent Moore pin for sure. So over the, yeah. Tech has beaten their three and zero with three wins over ranked teams, right? Correct. Yes, Northwestern, uh, Northwestern was number nine. No, uh, excuse me, Missouri is number nine. Northwest, Northwestern was number twenty-one. I mean, Tech should have won that and did. And right. uh, that was actually the one that was closest, right? The Northwestern match was pretty close. It was, it was correct. decided yeah. late. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, uh, but man, these wrestling programs don't mess around, do they? No. Missouri. No. There, that, there's there, there's no FCS opponent in, in the early season to, to warm you up, right? They go no. right into. So it. in in the uh, in the preview, I read on Eleven Warriors, they had some quotes from Ohio State's coach where. I mean, they laid out Ohio State's schedule. It's crazy, you know. And we've talked about this on the podcast. Wrestlers, they don't mess around. They love wrestling against the best. And so we were talking about the cross-country meet earlier, way earlier in the podcast. Cross-country, it's kind of it's, – it's all about the state meet, you know. Yeah, they, they compete all, all year, but it's, you're really just gearing up for the state meet. And, and in wrestling, you're, just, you're gearing up for the NCAA tournament. I Absolutely. mean, yes, you have to qualify. You have to get there. So you can't just nonchalant the regular season, but – Man, wrestlers love that stuff. A couple things that I'm, you know, curious about. Not to get too far ahead for this wrestling program. First of all, they're ranked 11th, right? They just beat number three Ohio State on the road. Though, curious to see where they're going to be ranked this week. Um, you'd have to assume, gosh, they got to be top seven, top six. I mean, with the with the resume they're built. Unfortunately, Missouri did lose this week, so that win still looks good, but yeah. just you know, it would have been. But and then you look at down the road for them. I mean, Navy is a, a traditionally a, a, a strong wrestling school that you know, but they're not ranked right now. Then Chattanooga, Central Michigan. Well, well, these, has, are, these are invitationals, right? They're not dual meets. Well, no. So they are going to the Navy Classic, but I believe that they are going to wrestle Navy in a, in a duel, I believe. Okay. Um, could be wrong on that. Because I think Jake wrote in our Jake Lyman wrote in our write-up that that's Virginia Tech's last dual meet for a while. Then Chattanooga, December 21st at home. Central Michigan's got a good program. West Virginia, Binghamton, and then Cornell, who they wrestled extremely tough last year. Yeah. Uh, and then they get into ACC play, and there's no reason to think that Virginia Tech's not a favorite to win the ACC right now. Oh, ACC so. wrestling's just getting so much better, though. It is. I oh, mean, yeah. The NC State in particular is recruiting well. UNC, I mean. So so that segues into recruiting. Uh, Virginia Tech signed the number two uh, recruiting class in the country by, I believe those are Flow Wrestling's rankings. Um, and this is on the heels of signing the number four class last year. So, uh, as from a recruiting standpoint, Tony Roby's got it going on. And uh, um, the program continues to build momentum. Like, like any program, it's going to take a while for all this to bear fruit. You know, and they, they, they don't have Makai Lewis this year. Uh, hopefully he'll be back. It just – I like the, the direction things are going. Right. Um, you know, what can you say? Here we are cheerleading again, but it's phenomenal. I, I stand corrected. I'm uh, getting a text from my cousin who wrestled at Navy. It is a tournament. It is not a duel. You Thank go. you, okay. Craig Futch. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let's dive into some Facebook Live questions. That was rapid fire. We did a pretty good job there, guys. <laughs> um, Probably not quite as rapid as you had in mind. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Uh, let's throw it over to the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. What's going on today, Malcolm? How's it going? All right. I'm on the couch now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let's start with Charles Bowman's question, which has made a bigger impact in the middle of the season, <clears throat> offensive running game or defensive front seven penetration? Mm, that's a good question. I think the running game. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, um, e- either way, uh, either one's a solid answer. I think Tech's defensive tackles are just 
playing at a really, really high level right now, particularly Deshaun Crawford. So good to have him back healthy. Mm. Nero Pollard, I think he missed his third sack of the season. Oh, I know. He uh, went running yeah, right yeah, I know he had two against UNC, and I think he's got a couple more here, here or there. But he's missed three. Like, his tackling grade on PFF is really bad because he's missing all these sacks. Yeah. Um, but – once he puts on 10 pounds of muscle in the offseason, he will make every single one of those. And works plays. on his technique exactly. and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But I, I, think, I think the running game, um, just when you can run the football, it's obvious how much better Virginia Tech's passing game is when they can run the football. Uh, and when Virginia Tech's offense is actually working and on the field and the defense doesn't have to go out on the field after a whole bunch of three and outs and things like that, it just makes the whole team better. Uh, makes the defense fresher, makes the passing game better. I, th- I think uh, Justin Fuente saying when he first got here was throw to score, run to win. Uh, and I-, I think when they made the decision to start Ryan Willis at quarterback, they got away from that philosophy. Um, because if you really want to run to win, he was not the right option. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he can't run. He can run. He's a good runner. He just made the wrong decisions in the right. running game. Um, so I, I, th- I think now that they have the right quarterback who's generally making the right decisions in the running game and it's opening everything up, I think they're back to their run-to-win mantra and throw-to-score. Uh, so I think that's made them a much better football team. Yeah, I, I stick with my answer, yes. <laughs> I like it. All the above. <laughs> uh, by the way, here's Ox's updated scoring streak. Oh, look at that. Okay, so Evan, read that for people who are just listening. So this is the longest streak of games without being shut games, out. Yeah. Yep, per the NCAA record book. Florida, 396 games. It's been 1988. This is the last time that happened. TCU in second, 343-92. Last time that happened. The Hokies have not been shut out since 95. That's third, 319 games. Just behind them, Georgia, 314. That's also in 95. Nebraska, 305. That was in uh, 96. Boise State, interesting, <laughs> at 288 at 97, uh, 1997 that is. Texas Tech as well, 280, 1997. And then Boomer Sooner, Oklahoma, 278 at 1998. So Georgia Tech was previously on that list, and they are no longer on that list thanks to Bud Foster. Well, yep, and thanks to Bud Foster. Now, to be fair, Temple's defense shut them out earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. Temple beat them 24-2. But we were talking about that that 2001 pit game where Tech got shut out, but they scored on a block Great graphic there by by Ox. And, And you guys weren't alive the last time. 50% 50% of this room was not alive the last time Virginia Tech didn't score in a football game. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I was alive either. I was in the stands for that, feeling pretty dead. <laughs> I, was, I was actually in the stands for that. And, you know, people complain about students and people leaving at halftime these days. Well, they didn't show up for the first quarter for that game. It was cold and rainy. rainy. And Tech had lost four of their last five games or something like that and it was wasn't pretty i will never forget uh, uh sitting there watching that game with my my good friend glenn bywater who lives down in florida now and uh, at that point in time virginia tech had lost uh three out of four to end the 1994 season they'd opened 95 with a loss and then lost to cincinnati they'd lost five out of six games yeah and I'll never forget sitting there in the rain, and Glenn looks at me and goes, when does basketball season start? You know, and, and, and said nobody for the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. So I'll never forget that. That was miserable. Malcolm and I have yet to uh, witness a Virginia Tech shutout May since we've been born. To. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm, what do we got next? Let's see. Uh, there's a few questions 
regarding how poorly Georgia Tech played. I know you guys don't believe in the transitive property of football, mm -hmm. but what can we measure by? We beat them by 45. <laughs> UVA beat them by five. Actually, were they really actually, bad or were we really good? I, I do think Georgia Tech had a really bad game. Yeah, I, I didn't think they played well, and I think once they realized they were going to get blown out, you know, they kind of they probably checked out some mentally. Although when they got that sack when it was 31 to nothing, they really celebrated like it was still a game. <laughs> Um, so, well, ma maybe, so maybe I'm Celebrate wrong. Celebrate the small things in um, life, Chris. Yeah. Now, now that being said, their worst loss this year was to Clemson by 38. The Citadel. Uh, point spread. Point oh, spread. Gotcha, as gotcha. far as points, but like, yes, yes, <laughs> they, like, did, they, they did lose <laughs> to the Citadel. Citadel but, was definitely know, their worst loss. But, but just <laughs> last week, they lost to UVA by five. They they lost to Pitt by ten. They beat Miami on the road. That was their last three games. So nope, nobody did. Nobody's done to them this year what Tech did. Um, was some of that them maybe playing their worst game of the year? Possibly. I mean, 2.3 yards per play, I believe it was, or 2.4 is like nowhere near. Uh, yeah, they literally had one good offensive play that I recall, and that was the scramble by Graham, by James Graham. They had a play, maybe a 12-yard run up the middle late against the backups. Yeah, yeah and they, they made some. Right. Um, so it was just an awful day for them. And it's hard to say how much that of that is them and how much of that is Tech, but they're not good, but they hadn't played absolutely horribly in, in, their, in their most recent games. Uh, but all, most of the evidence points to the way Virginia Tech's defense is just trending up, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I think – the, the North Carolina, the total yards against North Carolina and Notre Dame were deceiving because of the number of plays those teams ran. If you just look at it from a yards per play standpoint, Virginia Tech is up to 30th in the country now in defense in yards per play. Um, Steady, ready right. with the stats. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that was after some, you know, maybe some tough games earlier this season. But what they've done from a yards per play standpoint, I, I think this defense is – is they've transitioned, you know, the beginning of the year, I think they were average. Now I think they're they're trending up into the very, very good status right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're, 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 Virginia, we'll talk about this more on Wednesday, but they're the most complete team in the ACC besides Clemson. Who's that? Uh, offense, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is. Yeah. Offense, defense, and special teams. Um, the PFF ratings have Virginia Tech's defense, the third best defense in the ACC. Wow. And um, is it Pittsburgh and Clemson ahead of them? Yes. I believe those were the two that are ahead of them. Uh, real yeah. quick, as you said, but special barely. teams. As you said, special teams. Uh, it is now, uh, it was announced, or I figured out yesterday that uh, the punt, uh, Oscar Bradburn leads the nation uh -huh. now in, uh, what, what is it, punts? Uh, yeah, is it yards average, per punt? Yards per, per punt. punt. Yeah. Now really? leads the nation. He was he, third. He had another he, down inside the five the other day. But he only averaged about 45 yards a kick, which means he lowered his to, average. It's up to 48. Right? Well, he was at 48.6 last week and uh, well, he's for, for, uh, for the anyway. season. Well, he's 48.3 now, right? So everybody else, maybe the other, maybe somebody else other had guys a bad had day, or somebody had a block. So or bottom line, the uh, the Ray Guy Award is wow. is in in grasp for uh, for yeah, Oscar he, he, he can fill it coming for sure. And <laughs> by the way, by the way, Virginia Tech special teams 
ranked number two in the ACC on PFF. So you're talking about the defense number three, special teams number two. And where's the offense? The, the offense is only like number seven, but most of those half of those stats are with you know with Ron Willis starting. Obviously, much different story now. I I'm telling am, you, this is definitely the most complete team in the I ACC. I for this game Saturday against Pitt. We're gonna Pitt, have a great Pitt's, Pitt's got some scary players, man. I mean, Pitt's got some scary players on defense, but they haven't beaten anybody by more than ten this year. Even like Ohio and the one double A teams they face. I'm assuming they have some red shirts on defense, Chris. Uh, I'm sure they do. So I'm I just sure had to say, make sure we got the red shirts. In on the- All right, yeah. let's get a couple more questions in, Malcolm. Anything else? Yeah, from Doug Barnett. Uh, how does our young offensive line stand up against Pitt's D-line? Mm-hmm. Not well. Yeah, <laughs> Probably not well. We're, we're going to have to get yourself scheme. ready for we'll that. We'll have to get some scheme, some points uh, against Pitt. I, yeah, and exactly. I, I, haven't, I haven't studied Pitt. I, I don't know the name of a single Pitt defensive I, I watched player. I'll be a, I watched a lot I know, of their game against I, UNC. And I know collectively they're a physical physical defense and, they, and like Virginia Tech they have two standout cornerbacks yeah. that, that are really good and, and their their D line's pretty phenomenal too yeah the, you know they've they've got they're, they're invoking the name Aaron Donald to, to recruit defensive linemen. Well, of course. And, and you know, and no, nobody's walking around after signing day saying, oh, do you see that pit defensive line they signed? But they're, they're it's, really yeah, good. It's a and, bunch of blue-collar guys, that, and they, they recruit well. And, and Chris is right. Their type of players. Tech is going to have to scheme some, Very well. you know, some but, space. But, but, you know, that's that's kind of what Tech is doing right now. Right. I mean, they've had to do that every game. I mean, you're not going to blow guys off the, off the line of scrimmage with – starting three freshmen on the offensive line it's yeah, just sure. not it's just not going to happen so you've got to scheme your way to success to a certain extent which, which is difficult when you face other good coaches and you know martin narduzzi's a, apparently a pretty good coach I, th- I think he's a good fit for Pitt. oh yeah I, th- I, th- I think i think they know who they are yeah. and they don't try to be anybody else Listen, he was the defense coordinator at michigan need. state when right. they were great on defense there are some people yeah. as having family went to michigan state that want him to replace Mark D'Antonio. I can understand. Were I, yeah. one. So, I mean, he is well-respected up. Uh, I could certainly understand that. Um, now, that being said, you know, the, the, their offense is like the direct opposite of their defense. It's just very well, so limited. So, to continue the, the impromptu pit preview, um, their their offense isn't what it used to be. They have a new, new offensive coordinator this year, Mark Whipple. Uh, Canada left. I can't remember where. Oh, he could left several years ago, right? He was only there for mm. one year. He was there in like 2015, and that's it's it. It's funny because when when I was hmm, so I wonder yeah. who I'm thinking. No, of. he's a mercenary. <laughs> they're they're throwing the football a lot more. Let's let's cut to it. the chase. There, yeah. you're you're used. Well, so they can't run it. Right, you're used to Pitt running all over people. You're going to see him throwing all. And their best wide receiver is apparently out this week. Also, Maurice French. Maurice Fafrich. That's right. Yeah, that's Two right. Fs. Yeah. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table this for right here. Because we have a great podcast on, t- on on hand, I promise, on Wednesday. Okay. And, uh, wanna, all right, how about one more question, Malcolm, then we'll wrap things up. Yeah, we'll do one more from Chris Grella. Uh, in terms of recruiting with a younger team, is it better for the 2020 class to try and finish it off with high school kids or go harder at the transfer portal? Yeah, I would go to the transfer portal – how many impact players are you going to have on the transfer portal? Uh, like, there's just not that many of them, and, and because they're transferring for a reason, right? And where does Virginia Tech really need somebody right now? Um, I, I I'd be more likely to to get a JUCO if I could, uh, and I don't know exactly how many JUCOs Tech is allowed to take from an academic standpoint. I don't think yeah. it's very many, and I'm not I mean that from like a athletic department standpoint. I, I've heard that they're only allowed to take a certain number, or they only allow themselves to take a certain mm-hmm. number of you know, guys who struggled academically out of high school each year. So that means hardly any JUCOs. 
Um, they've already got the commit from the running back. Uh, if they could find a natural pass rushing defensive end, whether it's a grad transfer, whether it's a JUCO, I would I would take that. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, I, I just I think it's better. I, I would go high school, and, and this is the chance you get the red shirt guys, man. You get the whole team's coming back next year. You yeah, don't church, need a so bunch of guys to play as, as freshmen next year. You can you can redshirt that right, whole so, class. So, so pick 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 the late bloomer. Uh-huh. You know, look for the late bloomers, guys that aren't getting a lot of attention, but you think you can develop over time. Yes, and yeah. that fits your culture. And right. the culture's looks like the culture's really starting to take hold. You know, yep. I just realized what we missed out on when we we did the podcast on Halloween. We should have had Chris in a red shirt. Should have. It would have been very, very yes, fun. Yes. So he's dressed, I, he's dressed up as a red shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to everybody uh, for taking some time to drop the questions. Really appreciate. Always adds a really nice dynamic to the show. And uh, if you didn't get yours answered, be sure to uh, come back Wednesday as we preview Virginia Tech and Pitt with the Coastal on the line, with the uh, Orange Bowl on the line. There's a lot on the line uh, on Saturday in Lane Stadium. Uh, Chris, as I always do. What's coming up on TSL this week? What can our uh, I'm actually gonna I'm expecting Virginia Tech to announce basketball signings today. Right. So I've gotten most of a column written about that. Uh, just to ready to roll whenever Virginia Tech announces. Joe uh, Bamasil has already signed, and we're waiting for Darius, Darius Maddox, Maddox to sign. Right. He's supposed to sign today. So and where uh, do those both rank? Are they are they pretty? Oh, yeah, Highly yeah. talented guys. like 65 in the country. Where's yeah, uh, Bamasil? Depending on who you ask, is borderline top 50. Um, Maddox's eighty to ninety range. Okay. So yeah. Um so two two top guard prospects so far. They gotta close the class out in the spring with a couple of bigs. Um because I, I don't I don't think most people don't realize they consider Mike Young a guard oriented coach, but he runs a traditional lineup. He wants a traditional power forward and he wants a traditional center. And his offense is at its best when he has a traditional setter. Brent doesn't live here anymore. We're actually, we're <laughs> right, actually it's looking. total opposite. Yeah, um, he needs a traditional center. When they went, when Wofford went from being good to elite, it was last year when they had a center that was second on the team in assists and could score, rebound, and pass. pass, dribble, and shoot all that stuff. Um, so he's got to get that squared away. That. That, that's the most important part of his recruiting. I, I No question he's going to be able to recruit guards. All ACC teams can recruit guards. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, how, many, how, many, how many teams out there do you see that have bad guards? Hardly any, right? Now you see teams that, that maybe not might not be so sacked at 3, 4, and 5. So that's where it's going to be important for Mike Young, and this will be the difference in his tenure. And honestly, and, and this is the only thing that should concern you, when is the last time Virginia Tech has been able to consistently recruit fours and fives? Never. Well, that goes way back to when I was a student. Sure. Every, everybody else had you know better centers than Virginia Tech. Right, did. right. So Mike Young is going to have to do something that no other Virginia Tech coach has been able to do, consistently recruit fours and fives, particularly fives. Yeah. And that will decide his tenure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, looking forward to that article. I'm sure uh, you have Monday thoughts? Yep. And uh, – uh, well, everything else like a okay. normal week. Normal week. Yeah. Just, just put it out. It's going to be a busy week in tech athletics. Uh, men's basketball playing Delaware State on Wednesday. 
Of course, Tech and Pitt on Saturday, and we will have a full breakdown for you Wednesday morning right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. I hope you can join us around 9.30. That's going to do it for our loaded podcast today. Uh, guys, as always, really appreciate your time. And uh, again, a reminder to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at Tech Sideline. If you're watching this video, be sure to like and subscribe. For our terrific producer behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you on Wednesday, breaking down tech in pit on the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm.